0: Before we begin, just a warning, this podcast discusses child abuse. I'm Willow. I'm the CEO of Safeguarding Children here in New Zealand, and I'm passionate about preventing child abuse and ensuring that we do all we can to get children the help they need early. I believe that child abuse is preventable, not inevitable. I'm particularly interested in creating child-safe organisations I have over 35 years experience working with children, families, and the very people in positions of trust who work and volunteer in roles of children. I'm going to be sharing my child safeguarding insights with you and introduce you to some of the incredible people I meet in my role who work tirelessly to protect and advocate for our most vulnerable citizens. I wish I didn't need to be talking about preventing child abuse. I wish that all children were safe, but sadly that's not the case. So before you think this isn't the podcast for me, remember we're all stakeholders. We were all children once and we've all experienced childhood. Corny as it sounds, children are our future. All of us as adults will be parents or have friends or family who are children. Some of you will be frontline workers, who want to learn how to keep other people's children safe. So join me on each episode because knowledge is powerful and I know that together we will make a difference. So Kira, I'm here today with Fiona Bryan from Empowerment Trust. And then Fiona and I know each other really well, so it's gonna be really easy to ta- chat to her about the work that she does and the work that Empowerment Trust does to keep children safe. So thank you for joining me. Um, tell me about Empowerment Trust and um, what you do and how that um, keeps our children safe.
1: Oh, kia ora, thank you Willow. Uh, well, we're celebrating 30 years this year, so Empowerment oh, okay. Trust has been um, running primary prevention programmes for people, particularly children and young, young children and their families, uh, for 30 years now. So we um, focus on um, prevention work that focuses on educating And positive learning experiences for young people. So when we say that, um, an example I would use would be something like, we would teach stranger safety, not stranger danger. Because we never want to come from a place of scare. um, And also because we come from a trauma-informed background, we want to make sure that we're not upsetting or bringing anything to the surface. That anyone, not only the child, but maybe their extended family might have... um, Face during those learning experiences so we focus on um, what children and adults can do in any given situation so if I go back to that stranger safety it's not around teaching children about strangers it's teaching them skills to keep themselves safe from mainly people they don't know mm-hmm. that's not the scary harmful stranger but the everyday person that they might come across in their life so we're teaching them things like um, maybe keeping their distance from the stranger And maybe it's not a blanket rule to not talk to anyone, but maybe I check in with your adult or your person that's caring for you before you talk to that person Mm. first. Uh, So, yeah, so we focus on um, extending that too, not just to the children but to the wider family unit so that everyone starts getting a common language around keeping safe.
0: Mm. And so do you do any um, work with children around... um um, feeling uncomfortable or, or risk to them from somebody that they know because um, um, the last couple of podcasts that I've been doing um, we, we were talking about the main risk to children is from people that they know so does any of the um, work that you do with children um, focus on that aspect of it and what they can do if they feel uncomfortable or unsafe? Absolutely, so we never come from a place of scare
1: so even setting a simple boundary in a playground is teaching a child and setting them up to protect them from potential sexual violence. Mm. So when we do that in a safe environment, using just everyday scenarios, you're educating them and making, setting a boundary, part of their their skills and strategies that they carry with them. So the earlier you can start with those children... The easier it is for them to then follow through with that when they reach ages, when they're having potentially um, intimate relationships, or um, they're around potential family members that might be able to harm them. They're able to strongly set that boundary right at the start. But one of the key aspects is not actually just setting a boundary, it's actually how to get help. And it's not just educating them and teaching them on how to get help from one person, but actually it's around carrying on and persisting until they get the help they need. Mm. So I might come to you, let's say, mm. and say to you, Willow, um, this is about my safety, and then mm. I might give you my story. Mm. But you might not be in a position to be able to help me. So then I need to know that I need to go to the next person that I trust um, and tell that same story. And I need to keep doing that until I get the help I need. Right. Um, and, you know, a lot of it is that uh uh-oh feeling as well so we spend a lot of time with the children particularly around that if something doesn't feel right to take yourself away from that situation and to tell someone so when we teach um boundary setting skills so we we say to everyone you know there's sort of four boxes that you can tick so for any interaction to be okay Mm -hmm. you need to be able to tick these the first one is that it needs to be safe Mm So if you and I were going to go and play with a ball today and we were going to play on the field outside our house, that would be a safe scenario. Yeah. But if you and I wanted to go and play with our ball on the middle of the road, that wouldn't be safe. So once again, we're using these everyday situations to teach these boundary setting skills um, that then become part of your body memory so that when something potentially really harmful does happen, it becomes more natural. Yeah. Um, so then the second one is that it needs to be okay with both of us. So if I say to you, Willow, do you want to come and play with the ball with me? Mm. And if you're okay with that, and I'm okay with that, then we can proceed. Yeah. But if you were to say to me, oh, not really today, then actually I need to stop that because you're not up to that today. Yeah. So yeah, so we've got that safe. We've got it's okay with both. Um, is it allowed? So if mum or my caregiver or the school teacher is okay with both of us playing with the ball on the on the playground, mm. then we can go ahead with that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, the only exception sometimes um, with the okay with both is that if it's around health and safety.
0: Mm. So,
1: you know, it might be that something's happened to me, I've got hurt playing with the ball and I need to go to the doctor and the doctor might need to, to help me with my yeah. leg there. Mm. Um, so we've got safe, allowed and okay with both, yeah.
0: And what age do you start um, having these conversations with children, what what age does empowerment trust start working with children, it, 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 is it older children or is this mm. something that can um, be um, taught to little children as well? Primarily
1: we start around the age of four, Oh
0: right.
1: Um, but mm. what we also do is we also offer parent caregiver education workshops, which we do with their children. Because we already know and the evidence shows that the earlier you can teach these skills, the more likely we've got of preventing further harm mm. from happening. Um, so, you know, one of the things is, you know, if I want to be a lawyer, I'm going to spend years studying to be a lawyer, mm. but I can become a parent overnight yeah. and not know all these skills mm. and strategies. So I got into um, Empowerment Trust, which used to be called Kid Power, back when I had a four and a five-year-old, and I did a parent parent caregiver workshop with my children. Yeah. And I thought I was going along to learn around, you know, how to stop my kids from being hurt. Grabbed by a stranger or potentially hurt by someone mm-hmm. I didn't know, but actually what I found was I had a whole lot of skills in my in my box now that I could use every day with my children. So those squabbles that your siblings that your children have, I was able to use some of these Kipow skills. I was able to talk to them around, you know that. Mouth closed, we teach through powers. So, mm. children love thinking that they're an action hero, a superpower. Yeah. So, you know, we've got mouth closed power and hands down power and simple things like body power. So, I came away with a whole lot of skills that I could use every day with my kids that in turn taught them how to set a boundary later on in life. Mm. So, yes, yeah, so we start, the earlier you can start, the better yeah and i
0: mean some of those things that you talked about i think most adults will benefit from those skills as well so do you do anything for adults or is it just with children that you know so we
1: start with preschoolers go right up to elderly um and we also have a special program for people with cognitive disabilities right um and it's all focusing on healthy relationships Mm. so you know if you've got a healthy relationship and you know you can have open honest conversations you have more chances that it will lead to either a safe relationship or one that you can talk about any issues that you might have. Mm. Um, So part of it too is we have a a padded instructor. Um, So we allow people to practice some full force emergency self-defence skills. Right. Um, Because one of the things is that whatever happens to someone in their life, it's not necessarily their fault. Mm. Um, And what we need to focus on is giving people a skill that can get them out of any given situation. Yeah. So, you know, when we're working with um, particularly women who've maybe been in a in a harmful relationship, it's around working with them to empower them and build their confidence so that they can take themselves away from the situation when they need to. Mm. So by giving someone an opportunity to practice kneeing someone in the groin at full force, <laughs> not only gives them body memory so that it becomes more natural for mm. them to do it, but it actually shows them what they what they can do right. if they ever needed to. So, yeah, so we range, do a range of, of programs, um, but in saying that, the skills are still the same. Yeah. So what we teach to a preschooler, we would teach to an adult or an elderly person. We just teach it in a slightly different way. So the adults don't get superpowers then? They still have superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> they might not want to wear the cape, yeah, you know. Yeah. So they have, um, like our children, we teach them, we have um, a, what's called a kipau rubbish bin. Mm. And that's around when someone says horrible words to you, you kind of catch that word and you throw it in this invisible rubbish bin, which is your arm. Right, And then you replace those words with something good in your heart. So if someone said to you, you know, oh, your hair's not very nice today, you know, you might catch those words, throw them in the bin, and then say to yourself, you know, I really liked my hair today, I did it myself. Mm. Um, and for adults, you know, they might not want to walk around with a rubbish bin sticking out <laughs> their side, so, you know, they might want to just visualise that. Um,
0: so so can, can it help children build resilience for bullying?
1: Yeah, it can, absolutely, absolutely. So it's, it's, it's around not taking words in, in, inside of you which get held in there. And then, you know, focusing on what you can do in any given situation. And then the other flip side of that is actually we're really bad at throwing rubbish at ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how many times has someone said to you, wow, Willow, your hair looks really nice today. And you go, oh, yeah, no, I don't really like it. So, you know, we need to model that kind of behavior to our children as well. Yeah. Um, But in saying that, you know, it doesn't always work. And so it comes back to that children need to know how to ask for help.
0: Yeah, and absolutely. they need to keep
1: persisting. But then you're on, the, on the flip side of that, is you need to be educating the adults in that children's life so that they can, can help that young person mm-hmm. get the help they need. So it's a bit like the work you do around yeah. um, child protection training.
0: Yeah. It's yeah.
1: not all around the young person saying help, it's around surrounding that young person with communities that know how to help them, yeah. which I suppose leads us into that collaboration we've got around yeah. creating child safe communities.
0: Yeah, because for me, and you know, there's, I, I you know, we know that. Um, organizations that get government funding have to have child protection policies and procedures and it's always fascinated me that these things are in place but parents don't know about them and and children don't know about about them as well and when I look at what creates a child safe organization um, part of that is empowering children um, and which is why the work that we do with Empowerment Trust is is so important, and also um, listening to children as well, and um, and believing them if they do disclose any abuse. Which is why it's so important that the work that that you do, you and your team do, out in the the community. So, um, how do people access Empowerment Trust training, and how do, how do they they do that? Where does it run? And oh, how so we run
1: programs nationwide. Um, we've got satellite teams, well we've got teams here in Nelson Tasman and Canterbury and in Auckland. Um, we also offer online webinars and uh, we have some online resources which sit on Kipa International's platform. Um, and we also travel. And so, so do you go
0: into schools?
1: Yeah, we do a lot of work, primarily our workers in schools and preschools. Um, We also run de-escalation programs for workplaces. Uh, We do some work through Oranga Tamariki referrals because whilst we're not uh, focused on crisis, part of that whole cycle of crisis, building resilience, is prevention, like Mm. we've already talked Mm. about. Um, So, you know, for families where there may be some issues within the family, once again, we come back to being able to teach the young children uh, the skills and strategies to keep themselves safe but also that asking for help. It comes back to that, how do you ask for help and how does the the people who are meant to be supporting that young person create that help? And I think that's when, too, you need to think about the language you're using. Mm. Like we um, use trusted adult versus, no, we use an adult you trust versus trusted adult. Yeah. Because a trusted adult is someone in a position of potential power, like a policeman, but that might not be the person that can help the young person. In fact, that person might be the one perpetrating the Mm. the behaviors so um, yeah it's a real and and you need to spend quite a bit of time with the children around identifying who those people are Mm. because you need to have that plan in place before the harm happens um, so that children can think and
0: do you do any um, work with the children around secrets and that type of thing Um, because I know some yeah yeah just explain to me around um, secrets and keeping secrets and good secrets and bad secrets yep. and the work that you do around that. So I talked before
1: about the four boxes that you tick, the allowed, mm. the safe, and um, others, and the, the other one are there is others can know. Mm. So as soon as you start teaching children that, that every, everyone must be able to know what's going on. Mm. So if you and I want to go and play ball, mm. we need to let everyone else know. That yeah. can't be a secret. And when someone starts asking you to keep that a secret then you need to be thinking about why that is. Right. Nice. I mean, you don't want children to have to think like that. They just need to know that it can't be a secret. Yeah. Um, you know, you might have the odd secret, like, we're going to have a surprise party for Willow today, so yeah. we we're not going to tell her. But we can all know. Yeah. But if it's just between me and you, Willow, me wanting to do something with you, but you're not allowed to tell anyone else... Mm. Then, then that's a really important thing that mm. you can tell. So when we do our boundary setting, we have different stages. So we go through setting a boundary. We go through how to set a boundary when someone repeats that kind of behaviour and doesn't listen. We go through how to set a boundary when someone is asking you to keep a secret mm. or not to tell, and also when someone's trying to bribe you as well. And, you know, we talk about, you know, promising not to tell but then going to Yep. to tell in that mm. case. So. And
0: so how do the little children at four and five, how do they learn that? Is it through scenarios? Is it through songs? How do you, how do you I can't even imagine. Yeah, so we that. teach through role plays.
1: We um, right. For our preschoolers, we teach through puppets. Oh, and okay. actually, if you go to our website, you'll be able to see some of the, the puppets in action. Um, so we teach through that. We teach through role plays. So we set up scenarios. So if you're doing a workshop with your child, we'll get you to practice doing it. Yeah, so we don't just stand up there. We've got lots of um, posters and little simple actions that children can do. Mm. Uh, so we so we do through that. Yeah, so it's all a it's a positive learning environment. So we don't focus on what anyone can't do in any situation. Yeah. It's always what anyone can do. And
0: do you get any feedback at the difference it is made or any examples? Is oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean
1: a beautiful story here in Nelson was we were going into a preschool in Nelson prior to COVID. And then when COVID struck, of course, we couldn't do any face-to-face delivery. So we did do some online webinars for families. But we went back into the um, preschool at the end of last year. So that would have been two years without going in. Mm. So we were pretty much ready to do a complete start again, kind of. And uh, Marie, our wonderful facilitator, got in there with her puppets and she went to do her first scenario and the entire center, the children were like, use your mouth, close power. Oh. use your hands down power so you know that that's what we're all about is mm. around embedding it mm. into organizations into centers into families so that we're not going in all the time mm. it just becomes part of yeah. the culture of the organization the culture of the family you know if we could if we could give every preschooler boundary setting skills from the age of four you know we're setting them up for to be really successful moving forward yeah. and anything so you know if you can set a strong boundary a respectful boundary you know that's going to help you not only in, in your school and your relationships but also in your workplace
0: absolutely um, and even outside of that yeah you know. and so the other day you were running a webinar that was around talking to children about sexual harm Is that right? Yeah so just explain to me a little bit about that because the title of it was really interesting to me because I know one of the, um, in the title it said without scaring them. Yep. So just um, yeah tell me a bit about that because that was fascinating to me for me when I heard that that was being run. Well obviously um, if you're working with small children you don't
1: want to talk to them about sexual violence. You don't want to name that. You don't want to give them any ideas of what might happen to them. So what you want to do is you want to teach them skills and strategies around everyday scenarios so I go back to when we work with preschoolers in a a preschool environment we're setting them to set a boundary with their their friends and their peers we're setting them to practice these skills in the playground or when someone won't share their toy Mm. but in fact what you're doing is you're teaching them sexual violence prevention skills because you're teaching them to set that boundary you're teaching them to ask for help you're you're setting them up to not be with someone if that they're not being nice to you so you know it just comes back to that focusing on what people can do and not coming from that place of harm mm. so it's actually really simple yeah it's really simple mm. um and we don't need to go there we don't need to you know when we talk about um I mean I know it's important that children are aware of the their body parts and and how to name them yeah we just talk about the private parts as being those that are covered by their bathing costumes by yeah. their swimming togs when they go so yeah in our workshops we don't go into that detail yeah um and also because you know the different cultures across New Zealand use different terms yeah uh so so we just talk about that but yeah so we just we don't talk about the scary stuff no. we just focus on what people can do
0: yeah it's yep. fascinating and I know that it really makes a difference and uh, quite a few of my team they've been and done some of your courses and they've I know the other day, um, after the webinar, um, there was a teacher-only d- oh, no, yeah, teacher-only day, or I think the New Zealand teachers are striking, and um, one of their um, little children that's about nine, she was doing, um, like, five people. She'd drawn round a hand, and it was five people that she can trust. And yep. Yeah, and she was loving it, and you could tell that it really made a difference, and she was thinking about it, and you could see the, the difference it made.
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think, too, the other thing is that our programs we don't run different programs for perpetrators versus mm-hmm. potential victims um, because we're focusing on what anyone can do in yeah. any given situation so you know if you're in a in a classroom and you've got a bully in there mm. you know that's a behavior thing it's not yeah. the person it's a behavior yeah. so we teach this the, the same the same program for everyone so that they can all experience and when you do those role plays sometimes those
0: perpetrators can see yeah the harm that they're causing Mm. without knowing to because bullying's really damaging it i mean i can remember even now i'm in 59 now i can remember people at school bullies at school and and their words still stay with you don't they 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 um yeah and so i think for me bullying is almost seen as like a rite of passage for childhood but it can be really, really damaging, can't it? And every single one of us will have experienced yep. bullying. And um, Some of us still experience bullying going forward in our workplaces and the people that we associate with. So I think it's just incredible the work that you and your team do um, in this prevention space. So one of the things that I also wanted to talk to you about, I know that um, as part of what you do you um go into schools don't you yep. and um i was speaking to one of our other um guests about um government governance and the importance of of governance so um what do you experience when you go into school in relation to because i know that part of what you do you um have to see your organization has a really strict And philosophy around child protection and child safeguarding and so when you go into schools um, I know that you asked to see their child protection policy what do you find when you um, you know what (laughs) is it good standards is it standards that you would expect for your own children Um, we see
1: a real mix of policy so part of ours is we actually um, our child protection team has to cite that policy So it's not just um, one person or the lead facilitator. So our child protection team will ask for a copy of that policy. They'll go through that policy to make sure it aligns with our policy and then we'll have a discussion with the the school or the organisation around any differences that we've found and how we'd like to handle that. So if their reporting of concerns is slightly different to what ours is, we need to make sure that we've got... It aligned and also it's around identifying who those people are that we can go to for support when we find that particularly when you're working in high schools mm. um, because you've got individuals there with lots of different issues going on uh, so some schools some schools are really good some schools have got really strong policies um, they've got good training and then on the flip side of that you get some other schools that um, either the people and I'm talking deputy principals here don't know where to find that policy Or actually the policy, uh, last week we saw one that was only three lines, and that was their policy.
0: Three lines?
1: Three lines, yeah. I haven't seen it, I just was told that it was three lines, so we've referred them on to you.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's really shocking and disappointing. It it doesn't surprise me, though, in some respects, because um, it does worry me that um, we have got into a situation where there is a tick-box mentality around... Um, organisations' intentions to protect children and that, it, that you know, the business of have you got a child protection policy, yes, um, it's just letting our children down when it's not for it for, for is, purpose yeah. and it doesn't mean any, anything. And I don't know whether, you know, we're relying on um, government entities to be going round auditing that and I would like to believe that do you know, there, is, there are standards, but then it's very disappointing to hear what you've just ex- experienced there. Where, yep. What do you do in that situation then, Fiona? Because you, you know what good like looks like. I, I mean, um, Empowerment Trust have done some incredible work around making sure that you're a child-safe organisation. Um, well, I think, I think that's what you say, is that, you know, I just don't think people realise
1: what you need to do to embed that into the culture of the school. Mm. And I think that's what it comes back to, you know, what we're trying to do with our primary prevention programs is embed a culture change. And I think with child protection, the whole, the whole circle of policies right through to prevention is around a culture change for organisations. Mm. Because it's all very well to have the policy. And, you know, it's taken us, we've had a real journey on child protection. Um, we had a policy and we had it audited by safeguarding children probably eight or nine years ago now and the journey for us has been huge and you really need someone who's actually dedicated to child protection to make sure that the organization is actually doing what it says you know we're all very good at having policies that we we have in place but whether they're followed or whether the training's there to go with it and you know we're talking about our children
0: exactly we're
1: talking about the safety of our children and you know if one of my child was harmed because the school had a three-line policy that no one even knew was there, mm. you'd be pretty upset. As it, a, as but a it also
0: gives that message that children are just not important. Because I bet they haven't got a three-line um, policy for safety. health and safety. <laughs> Do you no. know? So how? It, yeah, and that's the thing. I was talking to J D Buckley from Osarco earlier on, and yeah i was saying the difference between people being fearful of the health and safety legislation they would never dream of doing that would they and yeah and and for me you know how does that help the the staff within the organisation to protect um children and also i think to myself how have they got to that stage um i mean the children's act came out in, two, in 2014 how can they have got to that stage so long, ago, you know, it's been in place for so long, yep. and still not have a, a robust, workable, or um, acceptable child protection policy? Um, yeah, I think they need, you know, I know schools have got huge workloads,
1: mm. and I think, you know, there's an expectation on teachers to, to do a lot more than what they probably ever did mm. back when we were at school. But I think one of the things that we've learned through that journey is actually you need a child protection team. Mm. You can't rely on it being someone else's added. Yeah, on there needs to, to be somebody
0: dedicated. It, it needs, to needs to be a focus. Yeah, and yep. it's you know you need to have somebody dedicated. The way that you've got somebody dedicated for health and safety, and at a governance level, there needs to be somebody on that board of governors that is um, dedicated to child safeguarding and and um, child protection. You do. Yep. Yeah, do and I mean we talk about we call our programs people safety. Mm. So what we'd like
1: to see, and the child protection comes into that, is, as you know children learn about road safety. They learn about water safety. Mm. And it's part of everyday curriculum at school. Mm. And if we could bring people safety into it, including that whole child protection Mm. aspect of it, so it's not just um, people safety for the children, it's people safety for the the wider community,
0: Mm. um, you know, we'd achieve all our goals. Absolutely. And and for me, I always think to myself, you know, we all go... I want to get to the, the situation with child protection training where it becomes standard, just like first aid training becomes standard. And I can't find any legislation anywhere that says that you have to have first aid training every two years, yet yeah, everybody diligently signs up for that if they work with people, That's don't right. they? Yeah. Do you know, it doesn't matter whether I'm going into... Um, you know might 10 or whether i'm going into farmers shopping there'll be somebody there who is trained in um, first aid and there'll be a number of people that are trained and yet we don't have that same standard in relation to children and keeping children safe and these are in organizations that are completely dedicated to two children their their mission is to provide um, services for for children so I want to get it to that stage where there is um, almost mandatory training so that child protection and child safeguarding is at the top of the agenda and it isn't just something that is an afterthought that occurs if there's an audit by some government body or if there's an incident because if we get organisations that step up when there's an incident that's too late for me yeah. that would be unacceptable if it was to do with the health and safety incident and of course child protection child safeguarding relates to health and safety but for some reason it just does not get on the agenda i bet there is not one organization out there that is providing services for children who have child safeguarding on the agenda every month and that's what I want to see because if it's at that level then it becomes just as important as worrying about um you know whether or not the buildings that you're actually running your service from has got woodworm and dry rot. Yep. Yeah. Well you see we
1: do PLD for teachers. Yeah. So we've got a contract with Ministry of Education around PLD for preschool teachers and primary school mm. teachers. Um, you know our goal would be that this like yours probably is part of their teacher training and mm. um, because then they go into that role already with these skills yeah. just like you know we all put a seatbelt on when we hop in the car you know so we'd love to see all that
0: because i think one of the things that's always fascinated me when we speak to um you know other professionals everybody thinks that the other profession has been trained how to keep children safe so you know the nurses think that the teachers have been trained the teachers think that the social worker has been trained and it's just shocking to learn that um, child protection and child safeguarding is not part of any undergraduate degree um, and there's very little um, postgraduate um, training so everybody is presuming that somebody else is is doing it but really if you are working with children and it's an absolute privilege to work with children then you should um, have those skills in place to ensure that they're they're safe and that they you know that the organisation that you are working for is safe for children as well. Absolutely so. and
1: we should have that right as a parent to yeah. expect that the places our children are going to go to yeah.
0: have those those systems in place policies yeah. in place. Yeah. Yep. And that we send our children there under, under that belief, don't we? That's right, yep. yeah. Yep. So thank you for joining me today and thank you for all the work that you and your incredible organisation do. And happy birthday for 30 years. <laughs> <That's> just, <laughs> I know. It's just incredible. It really I hope is. for you can have a party and we can have some cake or something. So, um, yep. so thank you for all you do and really thank you for all the work that you do in that prevention space. And I know that, you know, working together for you, know we can really make a difference. So thank you. I agree. Thank you.